Hey guys, welcome back to the Noob Stereo Podcast. Welcome if you're new here for the first time. One thing I just wanted to touch on this week, massive thanks to the loyal listeners that just continue to show up week after week and listen to this podcast. It's been growing from strength to strength and it's because of listeners just like you sharing it with your mates and I uh, really appreciate it. But hey, for those that are new, what is the Noob Stereo Podcast? It's interviews with spearfishing experts, authorities and characters from around the world. Today it's Chris Adair. Chris Adair? Chris Adair. I'm pretty sure I'm butchering it, but anyway, he's from British Columbia. He owns a freediving spearfishing outfit called Bottom Dwellers, which is a super cool name, and he's a super cool dude. Today in the Veterans Vault, we focus on cold water freediving and how you can overcome some of the the drawbacks of freezing your ass off, basically, and still trying to hold your breath. And uh, it's a really cool chat, and he's got a lot of info because this is his this is his wheelhouse for sure. And uh, we get into a whole bunch of stuff bunch of community initiatives that the, uh, that the that they're organizing over there in British Columbia. Uh, really cool episode. Uh, before we get there, I have a super cool review. I have a voicemail from a listener, just like you. And then I have two other things I've got to quickly tell you about. So quickly, the review is from Hank Lau. He says, love your show. Best podcast on spearing and related tops, topics ever. So thanks for that, Hank. And the European Championships, the World Freshwater Spearfishing Championships is planned for June 2023. All details and logistics are being tuned up right now with a smaller event there this month. Um, Mike sent me an email. You can check it out at freshwaterworlds.com and find out about these these uh, this awesome event that runs year after year. Thanks to the efforts of Mike and his team. Um, they are taking out invasives in a big way and they have an absolute blast doing it as well as shooting some really quality fish. Despite freshwater being in the title, they have an absolute ball and uh, comes highly recommended from guys like Justin Lee who um, regularly attend. Um, also, Matt sent me an email. He said, hey Shrek, love the podcast. Made the mistake of thinking you look like Jermaine from Flight of the Concords based on your voice. And then I saw a pic of you on the internet. Damn the internet. Lol. Great job. My sons and I love the podcast. We spear in the chilly waters in Michigan and we shoot trash fish like carp. If you need recipes for your next book, here is one for carp from Michigan. One carp, salt, pepper, garlic, baking dish, one gallon of one gallon of or bucket of horse manure, fresh. Uh, heat your oven to over 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, wrap seasoned carp in foil. Cradle in horse manure and baking dish. Bake for 45 minutes. Take it out of the oven. Throw carp and trash and eat the horse manure. <laughs> anyway, he says, if I ever get over there, come over and catch up, go spearing and, um, and sink some beers, basically. Thanks, Matt. As a bloody funny email and a an absolute truism for the for the for the cart there i'd imagine um patrick ryan aka deep water dreaming on instagram left me a voice message um if you want to leave a voice message like this or with your own spin on spearfishing or a scary moment or whatever you like go to noobspear.com head up into the me- uh, the menu and find noob stories you can leave a voice message up to three minutes short and sweet is great though and then i can include it in an upcoming podcast episode anyway here's patrick ryan aka deep water dreaming on instagram have a listen hey shrek and team over there at the noob sparrow it's patrick ryan aka deep water dreaming coming at you from the southern albanian riviera I just want to send you a congratulatory message from reaching uh, 10K followers over there on Instagram. I've been listening to you guys for four years since whew, back in February 2018 or so. Um, 
yeah, I was cycling across Australia at the time from Cottesloe Beach to Bondi Beach, over 5,000 kilometers in the middle of summer. That's not a very bright idea. But uh, the good thing is I did have the new spirit of keep pushing me through. And all I could think about was hopping into that crystal clear water on the other side and uh, going for a spear. But you guys have been absolutely crushing it throughout the years and just progressively kept getting better and better. And uh, super stoked for you guys to reach this milestone and keep up the good work feed the community with those awesome stories and the inspiration that you've been doing for so many years. Thanks so much, guys. Cheers. Thanks, Patrick, for that voice message, mate. Follow that bloke at Deepwater Dreaming on Instagram. He's a, he's a, he's a legend and uh, makes some great stuff on there. Hey, let's get into today's episode. Chris Adair, The Bottom Dwellers. Here we go. This offer is a literal no-brainer if you're a Spiro in Australia. Go to adreno.com.au. If you buy or spend over $200, you can use the code NoobSpiro to save $20 on every purchase over $200. Hook in, my friends, at adreno.com.au. Take advantage of a massive range of equipment. They've got flat rate shipping across Australia, hassle-free returns policy, and a price beat guarantee on any Australian spearfishing equipment price. Check them out at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpiro to save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can use that in-store or online at adreno.com.au. Neptonics.com source the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Jerry says, if we sell it, we believe in it, we trust it and dive it. Neptonics is the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing essentials. Neptonics is solid gear that works, and you'll know it's true when you pull the trigger on a Neptonics mech. On every snap of a Neptonics power band and in every whiz of a Neptonics spear gun reel, singing with the power of another big fish, Buy gear you can depend on at neptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10%. G'day, Noob Spirit community. I'm joined by Chris Adair. He is the founder and the the legend behind Bottom Dwellers Freediving, which uh, serves as a sort of a spearfishing and freediving hub in uh, his his sort of area, Victoria, British Columbia. Um, his Instagram um, his website, very engaging, very visually sort of just beautiful, Chris. Like um, if nothing else, like your part of the world looks absolutely like magic. Cheers, yeah. If you can bear the cold, it's definitely worth a visit for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Man, it says in here you've only been doing it for like a decade or so. Um, but yeah, you, that's you've been yeah, around. You've been around the water for a, a while by the sounds of it. It sounds like you grew up like a lot of us that sort of love this lifestyle it, just in love with the water and then it was sort of like it was like a natural progression or yeah totally it was a natural progression i guess from we always grew up kind of on the water in and around the water and did a lot of like line fishing and prawning and crabbing and all that and yeah and then it eventually transitioned to getting in the water more and like we grew up on a lake so i was always swimming around under the dock holding my breath doing as many laps of my aunt's pool as i could kind of thing yeah yeah um but yeah like we were always like kind of gatherer harvesters fishers growing up and just that that exposure to that as a, as a kid it just eventually progressed to the love of that transitioning to more in water and uh mm-hmm. eventually yeah took my first freediving course where it kind of spiraled out of control yeah <laughs> and that's when uh that's when it went next level and then you decided look i'm going to make this an absolute a, a full-on lifestyle by the sounds of it because you're you're teaching flat out particularly like when you have your season sort of there by the sounds of it. 
Yeah, yeah. So I was a carpenter by trade. I'm now a free dive professional by trade, and I haven't done a job on the books building in like over two years now. Oh, um, so yeah, it's been a great transition. It's been fun sharing passion with uh, mixing passion with work, and uh, yeah, it's just created this really awesome balance of life that I'm really fortunate to have now and busting my butt off seasonally for sure. But yeah, we're flat out. Like I'll be doing courses every weekend and then some until we're into well into July here, it seems. Yeah. So it'll be be good. Man, I I love your brand. eh? like the, 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 you know, the font you use, the style, the name itself. It's very cool. It's, it's got a lot of appeal to me on a personal level, but there is a little bit of risk of double entendre there with bottom dwellers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> definitely and you know it's something that uh th- i got a really funny story behind this one <laughs> so um it, it, you know th- there is another group in the, uh that is in washington actually which isn't too far from where we are across mm. the pond um and anyways long of the short is we were a year and a half into production and one of my really good buddies comes up to me he's like hey just so you know you might want to look into the name a little further. And at this point, I'm already like gone through my IP law, law, like legals and everything. So like I have intellectual property on it and everything. Um, But yeah, there's a really great group based out of uh, Washington that is called Bottom Bottom Dwellers. Also, they're an LGBT group uh, of of scuba divers that are down there doing it actively. Um, So yeah, they're really awesome people. We've chatted back and forth a few times and like just like some funny stuff with like male chimp being taken by me and then some back and forth. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, there is a bit of a double entendre and another uh, PFI professional brought that to my uh, attention a while back too. Yeah. So. Far out. That, something similar happened here in Australia and New Zealand. I don't know exactly how it happened, but like there's a, a, a big brand in New Zealand. Well, I mean, so I say big brand, I mean, it's spearfishing and it's New Zealand. So, I mean, how big can it be? But it's called Ocean Hunter. And then in Australia, I think almost simultaneously, another company launched like an in-house um, product brand called Ocean Hunter as well, both obviously targeted at spearfishing. And it's weird how, I don't know, this sort of plays out sometimes. Like it's, um, and you can, like, I mean, it happens in, in business and other stuff as well, but like, jeepers, what a what a weird coincidence, especially as I just over across the, the river, isn't it? Is it a river or an inlet? Uh, no, so it's like there's a strait and there's quite a bit of water between our, our island and the states, which we can, you know, we look across in Victoria to Port Angeles in Washington there. And um, so there's quite a bit of moving water through their ocean all the time. But yeah, it, it is close proximity. But, you know, it's also natural that the, the draw of the name, it's because we have a lot of our fish species here. And the reason behind the name is they're all reef based bottom dwelling species mm, for the most mm. part. We have our salmon, um, but you're not allowed to spearfish those here. Um, they're uh, not within the regs by the uh, specified gear for spearfishing. Oh, um, so wow. we're everything to do with spearfishing here locally is bottom dwelling fish. Mm. And that was where bottom dwellers came about is just like that prolonged breath hold, staying at depth, mm. becoming one with the reef and becoming that bottom dweller. And that was the overall uh, vision behind it. And then there was the coincidences aside as well. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think for demersal species and like where you are in your particular part of the world, like becoming one with the bottom is like, it's actually like there's, a, there's quite a lot of mental gymnastics that a lot of people seem to have with like hovering a couple of meters off the bottom and shooting nothing versus getting right on the bottom and blending with it, getting your fin- uh, fins down flat, really sort of minimizing your profile. That, that, but that seems to be quite a leap for a lot of divers to make. What's your opinion on that? 
I hundred percent agree with that. And like in our free dive harvesting programs, that's one of the things we work on a lot with our students as we're getting into the live diving environments is, you know, I'll, cause I'll drop down and I'll do drop over their shoulder, um, kind of working with them there, uh, just observing their technique. And a lot of the times, like you say, they'll be just hovering right above the bottom rather than getting down to bottom. And it's amazing the difference of how the fish react and how they respond. Um, and it's, it's something that I think, I don't know if it's just the, with the mask and the perception and magnification that the diver feels like they are closer to bottom than they are. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, there is that gap that is just naturally always there when someone's starting out and they just rush and don't slow it down. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Um, so like you, you, you touched on it, um, some of your programs with sort of mentoring and teaching, you've got these sort of immersive, uh, excuse the, the, the pun, I guess it wasn't deliberate, <laughs> but you've got these, all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've got these experiences, uh, where you, where you, you do mentorship. You've also got some community-based initiatives as well. Give us a little bit of a broad overview of kind of like bottom dwellers and what you run from day to day. And then um, maybe we could get into the specifics of one or two of these programs. Yeah. Okay. Um, so bottom dwellers is a instruction. So free diving instruction and charter service company, essentially. Um, so we're based on in Victoria on Vancouver Island, but we facilitate all of Vancouver Island. Vancouver Island is a very big Island. You know, it takes, uh, seven hours to drive from South tip to North tip of it. It's very long. Um, and, uh, it's got some amazing, incredible coastline, lots of different coastal communities that, uh, we can go and explore and enjoy. And it's a really, really, uh, diverse place to free dive when it comes to, uh, freshwater and saltwater. Like there's a ton to enjoy all around. So we facilitate our programs sort of from central Island down in Campbell river to Victoria to, uh, Tofino, which is on the West coast. And it's kind of like our, our, one of our biggest tourist destinations on Vancouver Island. Um, within that, we have a full array and scope of programs from snorkeling to snorkel hand harvesting. Those we do more as privates um, and we do for more group uh, endeavors. Okay. And then we have our bread and butter. That is like our free diving program. So the PFI free diver, we teach the performance free diving international system. So same as Ted Hardy and, uh, that, that crowd, Kirk mm. Rock and, and Dan Semrad, one of your past, uh, yeah, yeah. As well. yeah. Um, at Oregon free dive Co there. Um, so we, uh, yeah, we have our free diver level course. We have our intermediate level course where we te- take people at the PFI level. The intermediate goes as deep as 40 meters. Okay. Um, and 40 meters in cold water is deep. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's pushing the envelope, um, and, or at least beginning to for a lot of people, um, especially in cold water there. But, uh, then we have our kind of our, one of our more popular programs that we don't run as often, but is always very sought after is our tied to table programs or our free dive harvesting packages mm. where we're taking people through a beginner level free diver course and adding in a free dive harvesting course yeah, awesome. where we will, and we call it free dive harvesting because a lot of around here is, uh, well, one, those courses are to promote sustainable and ethical harvesting practices, yep. uh, throughout this 
first developmental phase of the student. Um, and it's about starting off on the right foot, but we don't just do spearfishing around. Like we are really diverse in, uh, in a lot of hand picking. So we do a lot of crab picking, urchin, sea cucumber, mm. um, gooseneck barnacles, uh, mussels. Like there's just a ton of oh, yeah. different harvests that we can diversify our portfolio with that ultimately makes us more sustainable and ethical within our approaches mm. to the harvesting. So um, we do offer the free dive harvesting course as its own standalone as well to certified free divers. Yep. Um, but ultimately anyone coming into those, we want to make sure they've been through a program or going through a program at the same time and at least getting that base knowledge. And, you know, anyone doing breath hold, you know, underwater breath hold is just, and then you're wielding a band powered device or a spear gun or, you know, anything like that. You should probably have your whereabouts what with what you're doing before you're doing any of those oh, drops with a loaded gun. Hundred yeah. percent. It's a world of complexity when you don't have any of the scaffolding skills, and you and you'd appreciate this terminology from your teaching background. Like it, it's a wonder that we we don't have more accidents than we do. And there are like I, I love how you're how you're sort of coupling a basic freediving package, which I think is all that most spiros will ever need. Is that very basic training? We're not looking for high performance stuff. You, you you want the core skills that are applicable to harvesting. Then you then you're coupling them with ethics. You're having those conversations in the actual place, and then you're coupling that with a little bit of I'm sure uh, theory as well as just the practical hands-on stuff. What a magic program! What a great opportunity! It sounds like you're really. That sounds like it's more at the cutting edge to me than a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing. Like uh, some some of the guys that teach spearfishing want to teach performance spearfishing. Or performance freediving. I think, what are we performing for? Like, most of the time, uh, don't get me wrong. There's always a place for it for that very top echelon of people. I think most of the time it's just the bread and butter stuff, the skills and the ethics that are just going to get you through feeding, providing awesome meals for your friends and family. Like to me, that seems like like 80, 90 percent of it. That it's everything for me. And that's where it started. That's where it stayed. And like, I, you know, I, I love the competitive side of things. I think there's a lot of great things about it, but mm. it's not my biggest draw. Like you, you hit it right on the head. There's like, it's about that shared experience from just going out on the adventure, the pre preparation, even to the rinse out, to the, the cleaning your catch to the around the table experience at the mm. end and the conversations that are had, mm. that's what sums it all up for me. And, uh, and that's actually on that tied to table package we do with Tofino resort and Marina and Tofino and other ones that will cater to with private chefs, but we actually do to culminate the whole event. So you've gone through a free diver course, you've gone on an open water charter with your group and your program that you've gone through this amazing embodying experience of learning to free dive and hold your breath. And you've blown your own mind because all the skills you already had, and we've just given you the keys to unlock the door. Mm. And now we've added this technique and you've gone out, caught your own food and harvested your own food. And then we go back to the kitchen and the chefs prepare it for you, tell oh, wow. them how they did it and, and present it to you. And it's just like an amazing wrap up to the entire program and it's that's, it's a really neat program for sure yeah. and that sounds infinitely rewarding eh? like particularly in your yeah. waters is so picturesque i mean freezing and uh and rugged but but also beautiful and and just sort of powerful like i i remember watching meat eater actually and they i think that were they in vancouver island and they were harvesting sea cucumbers they may have been may have been alaska i can't who's that with i who's think it was episode i haven't seen 
Steve Rinella and what's his, Yanis uh, Patelis, I believe, were okay. um, diving out of a Zodiac. It may have been Alaska, actually, come to think of it, but I know you guys share a lot of commonalities there. Um, Very much so. And they were harvesting these sea cucumbers in sort of like three, four metres of water and uh, cutting them up and eating them. It just looked like that's the sort of stuff I love. Like it's not necessarily always about pulling the trigger on a spear gun. Sometimes it's about like the foraging aspect, like whether you're getting crabs or sea urchin or mussels, like particularly in the temperate or the, or, you know, the colder waters, like it's just a magical experience. Yeah, it really is. That whole diversity uh, part of it is just amazing. And like you say, like three, four meters, like you don't have to dive super deep to get into a lot of that stuff. And that's what's so accessible about it. Even if you're not holding a spear gun or a pole spear in your hand, you can get out and explore the coastline mm. and enjoy the beauty that it holds. And like our cold waters promote some extremely uh, dense, uh, just very biodiverse waters. Mm. And, and there's an absolute ton of life and amazing. Creatures. And we do have good viz, like as much as we joke about it all the time we do get good viz in the winter months okay uh, it kind of like it it is at opposite ends of the season than our spearfishing season which is kind of in a it's good in a way so like our shoulder seasons are the best where we have like october or you know april start of april that's when our season opens up and then it ends um mid-november on the outside waters okay and on the inside waters it's uh uh, May 1 to September 30th. So we have these different windows, depending if it's the inside waters of the island or the outside waters of the island. Okay. Um, and during the times when lingcod and rockfish, which are our primary targets for the most part around here, are closed, the viz really starts opening up and we'll get 10 to 20 to sometimes 25 to 30 meters of visibility. But it's when it's really cold and everything it's just the winter diving experience. And that's when I transition more to photography. Um, yeah. and it's nice to have the different disciplines. Yeah. I see, like I've seen some of your photography on your, on your website and on your Instagram. Um, you, have you got a, a good buddy that does it as well? Cause I wasn't sure which images are, are his or hers and which ones are yours. Yeah. So we've got uh, a, a few different partners that we work with uh, that have done some great stuff with us. And like the one guy who's been backing behind us the whole way, his name is Jeremy Koreski, uh, kind of a pioneer of surf photography on Vancouver Island and has transitioned into doing a lot of this stuff with us along the way. And um, yeah, him and especially like uh, early on with a lot of the trips we got to do, um, uh, we've been doing some really amazing trips uh, when we started out with a company called Nemo Bay Resort, which if you want to check out a classy place to go and uh, and have a vacation on uh, in and around Vancouver Island, but on the mainland. Um, yeah, they've provided some really great opportunities and we have some incredible content through that. And yeah, like ever so thankful to Jer and all the photography he's done to support us. But we have had a lot of other photographers jump on board with us along the way and, and support us. And uh, our buddy Chase was out recently last year. And, um, and then, yeah, I've been transitioning to doing it more and more stuff. I'm actually going to do my dry suit finally, because I don't even have my dry suit um, oh. up here. <laughs> and just so I can spend more time at depth and do more kind of macro photography and stuff around here a little more. I just love a functional and simple spear gun that I can trust when I pull the trigger. Killshot spear guns utilize the finest of kiln-dried Burmese teak. Killshot spear guns also combine American-made parts and fine craftsmanship to bring you accurate, reliable, and simple spear guns that you can trust fish after fish. Get $30 off 
any Killshot Spear Gun at killshotspearguns.com. Yes and amen, Uber. That's $30 off American-made performance spear guns at killshotspearguns.com. I'm really sorry for this terrible accent. Brought to you by Ed Martin at killshotspearguns.com. Got a sweet deal for you today, guys. Go to freedivingfamily.com and learn from Adam Stern and a select team of experts on different disciplines. There's Frenzel, Advanced Frenzel, Hands-Free Equalization, Mouthful, Deep Frenzel Equalization, Bifinning Essentials. These are courses that will give you the 1% that will allow you to improve. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. Again, that's the code SPIRO to get 20% off at freedivingfamily.com. Thanks, Adam and team. Love it. Salt and water make for a deadly combination when it comes to dive gear. That's why you need to visit oldmanblue.com.au. They use the finest in materials and they make stuff to last. They use 316 marine grade stainless steel in their loops and they source their materials and make their own stuff right there in Western Australia. Catch bags, cray loops and more. Visit oldmanblue.com.au. Check it out. You and me are going to talk about um, cold water freediving and spearfishing for the veterans' fault. Um, before we get there, though, let's talk a little bit about um, sort of some of these community initiatives you're running for First Nations people. I really want to chat about it. I know you've got an event next week that our timing is not quite perfect on. However, this seems to be something that you're invested in and is probably going to become sort of an ongoing um, thing or at least a seasonal thing that you do there. Yeah, um, for sure. Walk us through sort of we like what it is and then sort of how you got into this and what 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 is um taking your attention why is it taking um so much of your attention yeah so uh part of you know the whole scope like we talked about is that shared experience of getting out there harvesting with your friends and family and that shared uh community kind of aspect of it and like my family my uncle shared a lot of knowledge with me down to me and i, I that i'm ever so grateful for that and it's it, I think it's maybe kind of why I love the instructional side of it too. I get to pass that on in some sort of a way Uh, with these programs that we're doing with the warrior Warrior leadership program, which is a new Chalnuth first nations uh, based program, which is a multi-nation program um, based on Vancouver Island. Um, We are doing these uh, snorkel harvesting. So they're hand harvesting snorkeling programs where we are uh, introducing the youth to snorkeling and then going, doing an open water day and picking urchin, uh, they call it, um, in their native languages. Um, and, uh, and we're basically going out doing little urchin harvests, picking up sea cucumbers as well. And actually on one of the programs we did last year, we got to show them a giant Pacific octopus in three meters of water hold ah, up cool. under a rock, which was really cool. And like, I mean, just to see their eyes light up as they do and just being exposed to a new world. Cause I was so infatuated with mm-hmm. uh, the underwater world when I was a kid, like I wanted to be a Marine biologist. That was, <laughs> I was for sure going to be a Marine biologist when I was a kid. Yeah. I think every kid on Vancouver Island wanted that though. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, these programs actually came about because of the young men, the youth in uh, Hitatsu, which is Yukulip First Nations, um, they came and reached out to us to come in uh, to the to facilitate a program. And so through there, we kind of ran a pilot for them and then Tayshot First Nations as well out of uh, the Port Alberni area on Vancouver Island. 
Um, and so we ran a couple of them last season and then we through uh, the process of uh, achieving grants and being able to work forward with um, sustaining the programs we are doing, I believe we're doing eight more programs this summer. Wow. So we're, we're, we're going to be putting eventually uh, 36 youth through these programs. Um, we are also going to the goal, the fundraising initiative goal that we're doing on top of what we've already gathered is going to have been raising, we're going to hopefully raise 36 full kits for them, five millimeter uh, free diving kits with knives. Um, so line cutters yep. uh, and uh, Rife International is actually supporting us uh, to be able to do that as well and help us make it more approachable. Um, and so we've started this fundraising initiative to go on top of backing all of the youth programs that we're doing. And, and for the youth, it's about connectivity to their harvest, connectivity to what's accessible on their coastline. Cause a lot of these, these youth, they're coming from some communities that are pretty remote. Like you're going down logging roads to get there, you know, um, especially Cayuca first nations who are coming out with us in May, like they're very remote. You're, you're long, long drive and then a boat ride to get to them. And they're very remote on Vancouver Island. Like I'm very excited to be invited out there one day to experience it with them. We're currently hosting all these programs in Uculet. Um, and so it, it's honestly, it's just an amazing thing. And uh, to give the youth the ability to access the water and not only access the water, but access the uh, resources from their coastline is the overall goal of this so that they can uh, feel empowered to be able to bring that harvest back to their community, back to their elders and uh, fill a role within their local community that uh, has maybe to some degree been forgotten about. Meaning, um, meaningful activity is huge, isn't it? And um, oh. that, that, conservation through like that mindset of preserving and, and, and looking after what you have is it's so much um, a part of actually going and doing, you know, like um, there's sort of ivory tower, like conservation and thinking about stuff, but unless you're immersed in the environment, I think, um, and I think that's powerful to, to feel like you're serving a meaningful part in your community. That'd be cool as well, particularly in a remote community. I, I have, very little understanding of, of, of what day-to-day -day life is like there in some of these remote communities. Can you sort of give me an idea, like uh, how big are these uh, communities? How um, disconnected are they from off, you know, like off the grid kind of thing? Yeah. So uh, Cayuket, for example, uh, I, I have still not been to Cayuket myself, but I mean, I believe once you're out to Fair Harbor, it's, uh, you know, probably a half hour boat ride is what it would be. But um, there's there's places like a, a house it that are a little more closer to the Tofino hub. But they're, they're small communities like a house. It is, is 300, I believe, a population of 300. Um, I, I need to, I would need to double check these facts on it too. Mm. Um, but Hitatsu, for example, is very close to the community of Uculet. Again, I am also very, uh, removed from, uh, some of this. I am only learning now through the youth as well. So yeah, it's awesome. not just an edu it's not just an educational experience one way. Yeah. I'm learning a ton, especially as a privileged white male in our yeah. society. Um, it's, it's a really neat experience for me to be able to support and give back. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, there's definitely a lot of power to it uh, in the sense of, I think my ro most rewarding programs that I do are by far these ones. Yeah. And it's, it's about being able to facilitate that experience to support um, just an experience that I found so valuable to myself when I was a youth. Mm. And otherwise without these programs, these youth wouldn't have the opportunity to even think of experience it. Like um, 
Hawaii at First Nations is another one that'll be doing this. And they're if from Victoria, for example, they're about an hour and a half to the uh, pay or to the logging roads. And then you're like a two and a half hour uh, down the, the dirt roads to get to them. And wow, they're right. very, they're very remote. So, you know, they're on, they're, they're separated from society to a large degree. Yeah. And so providing these uh, in water opportunities is something that holds a lot of value to them yeah. on many levels. Yeah. I can see a few sort of points there of, of, of interest for me. Like, I mean, sometimes it's, you know, there's, you get more in giving than you do in sort of receiving. And whenever you do something meaningful, I don't know, for me, finding meaning in what I do on a day-to-day basis is really important. And uh, giving to a community that's in need like that would be a powerful experience. But then you also get the the that sort of that cultural um, sh- sharing, you know, where you're learning and they're learning, and it's uh, they they make for really great experiences. I mean, that's one of the big draws of of travel for me. You know, like I I was more interested in like Mongolia than I was in like Czechoslovakia. You know, like I I, w- I was more off the beaten path than um, than just visiting museums and art galleries and stuff. I I, I like to meet the people and, 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 you know, be part of that. So that, that sounds like a really cool program, man. Um, if people are interested in finding more about sort of this and like the warrior leadership program, is that, is that the name of this thing, this warrior leadership program? Yeah. So the warrior leadership program, it's an eight nation program at this point and it is only growing. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, Ricardo Man Mohan is who founded it. Um, and uh, you, you can find them. Uh, I, I mean, I can get you some show notes stuff for it with a yeah. PDF and all that. Fantastic. And then uh, through our website, if anyone's interested in supporting that fundraising initiative as well, there's a link to the description of it all. And then there is a, a, a charitable donation portal set up through the Clayquat Biosphere Trust and Clayquat sound is the tofino area um essentially yeah. okay cool so if people go to they can go directly to bottomdwellers.ca and they yeah. can check out um all of the stuff that chris is up to but you can also come to today's show notes noobspero.com forward slash bottom dwellers because uh, i just love that name bottom dwellers i can't can't get it out of my head um the double entendre does does appeal to me as well with my primitive sense of humor <laughs> yeah. but um awesome man I, I i really like her and um so, so next week you've got an event on as well i mean we're probably going to miss it but is this going to become an annual thing do you think uh yeah the goal of it is to make it an annual summit so the bc and canadian spearfishing community is growing it's a young community and but even since i started instructing in 2017 when i founded bottom dwellers uh, there's been just a huge uptick in the number of people doing the sport. And um, yeah, so this is something where we're hoping to at Tofino resort Marina there do a spearfishing summit, every season opener, essentially, we're going to try and do it a little earlier just with COVID and ongoings. We weren't sure what would be open to yeah, what capacity yeah. at this time. Okay. Um, but yeah, the goal is to start bringing the full BC to even Canadian spearfishing community together out to Tofino for a fun weekend once a year and start just, yeah, I guess uh, schmoozing each other a bit more and getting yeah. to get some contacts so that we can go spearfish elsewhere in Canada because it's a big place and really yeah, diverse. Yeah. Making yeah. those connections is cool, man. I'm looking forward to the yeah. world opening back up and like some of the shows opening back up. And uh, so the British Columbia Spearfishing Summit, is that yeah. going to be, is that information always going to be on bottomdwellers.ca or is that, uh, is there another place people can check that out or? Yeah, so currently there's an event site set up or Eventbrite set up. It's like a web-based um, event portal. I don't know if you guys have some. You've yeah, sure you use it. Similar. Yeah, but, yeah, oh, you yeah. use it? Same yeah. one? Okay, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's an Eventbrite link to the event. Um, 
And that's uh, basically the main landing page for it is at Tofino Resort Marina because they're who's hosting the program. Okay. Uh, we, along with Tofino Resort Marina, so Bottom Dollars, Tofino Resort Marina, um, Spearfishing Canada, where I'm a partner as well. Uh, we're an online retailer focusing on, you know, buy once, buy once, buy right kind of gear, yeah, um, sort of higher end equipment. Um, and, uh, and then there's a bunch of other partners like the Euculid Aquarium, uh, coming out to support it. So we actually, the talk, the overall structure of it, it's, it's an educational based event with a wrap up party at the end. Oh, I love it. And, and so it's myself, or sorry, people that are speaking at it is uh, we're going to have local First Nations representations talking about uh, land access and resp- and just general respect of, of resources, which is going to be a really great, powerful um, talk from a a couple of different First Nations, Tolokwit and House of First Nations, but then also some of the youth from Hitatsu that did our program last year are going to come and speak at it. Uh, and then uh, Spearfish in Canada will do a quick um, talk. Uh, Mick Scheinberg, my partner there, will do that. Uh, and then I'll be talking about kind of actually what our Veterans Vault will be about today a bit. Oh, awesome. um, and then uh, we'll be talking about uh, sustainable and ethical choices in Pacific Northwest with the Euclid Aquarium. And then we even have Department of Fisheries and Oceans coming out to, to answer any Q&A questions that people have just about our regulations and why they can be so incredibly hard to decipher. Oh, and read. Wow. I don't know if you guys have that problem too, but... <laughs> Australia is like <laughs> regulation wherever you are just seems to be frustrating. Um, I'll be honest, our, the bureaucratic sort of mess that, you know, is ov- obviously like the problem with any country's or any territory's um, regulations, it doesn't seem to serve, you know, the the reason why it's been set up. Sometimes it serves the interests of just various stakeholders. Um, having said that, I'm grateful we have regulations and laws because… 100%. Like you need them. Um, so, I mean, we all have to learn to work within that fr- framework, even though it's very frustrating. Canada, I'll be honest, like looking on from, you know, way over here, seems to have just, I don't know, it, it seems to be even more nanny state than Australia. Uh, I don't know if the fisheries <laughs> reflect that as well. Uh, your comments are welcome on this. Yeah, Um you know, I think they do what they can with the resources they have, but it could probably be managed better to say it diplomatically. Mm. Um, we have some serious gaps in our regulations that like there's species that you can take. There's there's a species of crab you can take here that there's you're allowed one per day. Um, no annual limit all year round. You're allowed them. But across the water in Washington, like same straight, same body of water, just island on one side and then mainland states on the other. You're not allowed to touch them. Oh, like, wow. and, and so like that alone, and like, I, you know, I'm okay that they're open, but I think there needs to be an annual limit and it needs to be regulated to come some capacity. Yep. But then on the other side, there's like oversights in the regulation where the way our regulations work here is we have the fish species and then you're, you're targeting whatever fish or harvest species you're targeting in the certain area or zone it's in. Mm. And then within that, it'll tell you what gear specifications you're allowed to use for those species. And so here it, it, it just like, there, there's, there's especially like, for example, sculpins, which is like a cabazon you probably heard yeah. talked about, like probably along the California coast there in uh, Oregon, Oregon, Washington. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, but we're, they're just, they don't say by spear or while, while diving, while spearfishing, but you're allowed eight per day with hook and line. 
And so like, it's oh, just wow. like a complete oversight in the regs. Mm. It seems to be, but listed legally, it is listed as closed. I actually put a motion through like four years ago to get it passed locally. It passed regionally, it passed, and then it just disappeared on its way federally. And so we got to go through the whole process again. <laughs> this is the, yeah. like, there's, there's, you've highlighted a number of issues that I care about. And I just don't talk about very much, but centralization of authority lends to people making decisions that broadly affect huge bodies of people without that local feedback loop and without without a proper mechanism for consultation and stuff. Consultation, I think, is a trendy word that they love to throw out there, but it doesn't actually really happen. Uh, a little bit like <laughs> sustainability. Oh, we'll just whack a sustainable label on it. What does that mean? You know, like I know it's like, and you know. Documentaries, you know, that say fishing and you know fishing is evil and stuff like that, like the recently one, Seaspiracy, they exist because of these problems that we have within our legal infrastructure. And um, but artesian uh, fishermen, fishing people, like as I'd assume some of those First Nations people are, they could do without that those layers of complexity. We we need simplicity, and but everyone needs to understand and and be broadly communicated to about what the rules are and how to stick to them. Because if it's too confusing, people make mistakes and then, you know, like giving fines to people that um, d deserve it, I'm 100% for it. But if you just don't know because of the complexity of the rules, then that's not fair either. And it doesn't, like education seems to trump, I don't know, some of the other legal ways and means of punishing people. For sure. Yeah. And like on that note, uh, you know, the one nice thing about it here is, you know, if you're making a truly honest mistake in the regulations and you lay that out to our DFO agents here, they're really understanding oh, cool. and good people. So they're, they're not just out there to crack the whip. Um, so if it's an honest mistake that this was hard to navigate and they can see that, like, I mean, some of the banter we've had with some of the agents, their <laughs> hands are up in the air too. Like, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I like but the, they are super helpful. Yeah. I like yeah. the idea of getting those fisheries, um, uh, officers into or, or game wardens or what, whatever it is for whatever you know jurisdiction you're in or, or whatever i like getting them in to actually just chat about what they see and observe what the common problems are the issues they see confronting the fisheries in the environment and then just hearing first-hand accounts of it rather than just like and i think they like being utilized like that too because it's a little bit like police like if police are seen by the three clips that you see on the evening news versus the you know, the three talks that they did in community-based initiatives in schools during the week, you know, you have two different perceptions of it. Like, I, yeah. I think those bodies need regular touch with our communities, you know. So, anyway, um, are they talking – have you got a uh, fisheries officer talking at the uh, event, the British Columbia – yeah, we do. Yeah, oh, they, they usually get grilled. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, they show up. They show up bulletproof vests on yeah. and holstered, and <laughs> oh, well. and uh, I don't know if it'll be this case on this one because it's a local uh, DFO, uh, just someone from the local community who works for DFO coming out. Cool. Uh, but in the past, it's it's been a, it's it's great, honestly. Like having them come out, it just shows that they're there to support and they're there to answer questions. So if you have any questions that you want to ask our DFO officers, you, you send me the list in, in the show notes here, and <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll hit them up. <laughs> I also like now that you mentioned it. I I also like it for that transparency and that accountability to the community because they are ultimately appointed for the community um, and for our best yeah. interest to protect our waters and stuff. So I like it, man. Cool. I'm glad that they're yeah. there and that's awesome. That's another one of the beautiful things about these, this initiative that you guys are part of. So awesome, man. Yeah. And then, yeah, just last thing I'll mention is anyone that does come out to the event, uh, if, 
if they make it there. We One, we appreciate your support. All the proceeds are, again, going to the Warrior uh, Leadership Program. Um, and it's just going to be, the, the funds are going to be dispersed towards uh, putting the youth into more equipment and kit to get them in the water and to give them and allow them to gain more access to the coastline. Yeah. Love it. Okay, so guys, if you want to find out about uh, more about that, go to noobspirit.com forward slash bottom dwellers or go direct to uh, Chris's site, bottomdwellers.ca, and you can find out there's a there's a link there about the Warrior Leadership Programs and also the uh, British Columbia Spearfishing Summit, and then you can find out some more information from there. But um, I like it, man. 36 um, kits of gear for 36 First Nations people at a – you know, like at a, you know, to help them become part of their communities in a more sort of meaningful way. Up, fantastic! I love it. Cheers! Uh, yeah, we're we're super stoked on it all in the initiative. Yeah, I'll have to see what we can come up with here at Noobspear and maybe um, pull some fuel out of our outboard so that we can help you guys. <laughs> fuel goes a long way right now. <laughs> it does, man. Hundred percent. Like we, it, it yeah. just come down here. I was grateful too because I went to fill my car up the other day and I was, I was grateful for the respite. Today's Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by Penetrator Fins, used by leading freedivers and Spiros, including Australian Spiros like Ian Puckeridge, Kate Rogers, uh, the dynamic freediving record holder Ben Eckhart, Hawaii's Justin Lee, Kylie Umeda, as well as Canadian ice diver Magali Coat. Penetrator Fins are praised by proven performers from all over the planet. Have you got yourself a pair? Visit penetratorfins.com, use the code NoobSpiro to save $25 on any pair. That's right, go to penetratorfins.com, use the code NoobSpiro, choose yourself a pair of Penetrator Fins and get reliability that you can depend on. Penetratorfins.com. Shrek, my dude, you're killing it on the Noob Spiro podcast. Every guest you get on frosts on the spearing life and the actionable info is off the chain. Over here at Spearing Magazine HQ, it's the same, buddy. So many noobers are submitting their adventures, lessons learned, and pictures here at spearingmagazine.com. Just wanted to say that uh, noobers can get an international subscription here at spearingmagazine.com. They can also check out our in-the-face apparel or getting a subscription to the world's greatest spearing magazine. Check it out at spearingmagazine.com. Shrek, thanks. Love what you're doing. Jeremy out. Sometimes with weather and commitments, it's a long time between drinks in your spearfishing journey. If you want a dry training program that can keep you in some kind of shape for spearfishing, check out Ted Hardy's 28-day freediving transformation at noobspero.com forward slash Ted. That's noobspero.com forward slash Ted. Now, the 28-day freediving transformation is just a practical dry training plan that Ted Hardy will walk you through and it will help you get results even if you can't get wet at the moment. Check it out at noobspero.com forward slash Ted. I wanted to get into Veterans Vault, which was cold water freediving. I've done some cold water freediving, so I have a number of questions. Like my first sort of question is about the mammalian dive reflex, which we've chatted about a number of times on the uh, podcast. You know, it's that when you're, you know, my understanding, you when your face gets um, – submerged in water it uh hits some nerve endings which basically trigger this response um we have you know there's blood shift there's all sorts of things going on in your body and my understanding was cold water could help bring on the mammalian dive reflex in a far more intense way can you talk to me about this yeah so 
that works to some degree, but once you get to a certain threshold of cold, so it, it's, it's cool, cold water. We're not getting into cold, cold water. Cause the issue with that is it, it will trigger my understanding is it, it'll tr- be more likely to trigger the mammalian response mm-hmm. um, or mammalian dive reflex. But, you know, in cold water, as soon as you start to shiver, all of that goes out the window. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, like, uh, you know, it is said that cool water will harness your uh, vasovagal response more. Mm. Um, so, but bradycardia, so, lowering of the heart rate, and all yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah, so bradycardia, um, and it's primarily bradycardia that that will assist with. Um, and then you have uh, your splenic contractions that occur under pressure, and while you when you do breath holds and you get contractions. So that's the release of the the more the rich oxygen blood that sort of just helps your body to go for longer, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, uh, more red blood cells into your bloodstream, giving you more oxygen carrying capacity and uh, essentially your natural form of blood doping. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And blood shift. <laughs> so the shift from the blood from our extremities into it around our sort of our, our central organs to protect us as we descend. I believe that's also sort of part of this response. Um, sh- shivering and cold water, how does it disrupt this? And, um, does it just mean that you have to use very finite windows for diving? Yeah. So a lot of it comes down to staying warm. Um, the, the shivering, like you may be okay at the surface for a bit and you'll kind of warm up a bit as you do a dive and then your heart rate gets up towards the end of it, maybe as you start getting contractions. Uh, but as soon as you're on your dives and you're shivering, I mean, you just, your breath hold starts plummeting. 100%. Um, your heart rate just increases. And like, I've really actually noticed this over the last couple of years, cause I picked up a DPV. So I have like a black tip scooter. Okay. Um, uh, so it's like dive extras. They make these DPVs and. Man, it's so fun, but cold water scooter free diving oh. is so cold because yeah. you're just getting this like you're not moving little flush of water the whole day. yeah you're doing mobile statics while you're moving in essentially like uh, just a, a, a hydro cooling factory. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's so fun, but like man, your breathles just get shot so fast. Really. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So countering cold, um, like my, my issues with it is like, obviously you keep wearing thicker and thicker wetsuits quite often when you, you know, like if you're like a, say you're like a diver in Australia, like you're in, 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 in Southern Queensland where I am, like I'm wearing a three mil, I go down to start diving some temperate waters. I'm putting on at least a five mil quite often that wetsuit hasn't been worn for a while or it's even brand new. Um, I put it on all brand new wetsuits. Like they just don't. Unless they're full custom fit, they don't move and allow you that freedom of movement. They can feel quite constrictive, which then makes you colder because you're not moving properly. Um, all of these things are a fact, and they dramatically decrease your dive performance because your comfort's impeded, your movement's impeded. How do you overcome that sort of stuff? Yeah, so neoprene is your friend. Uh, it's funny, I was just talking about this a bunch the other day again. And like the one thing that Really, and we'll come back around to the the neoprene side of things. But the one thing that I really notice with cold water free diving, as you progress and as you become a stronger diver, you're becoming more and more relaxed. So you will cool down quicker and you will stay more relaxed, keeping your heart rate lower, which will contribute to you cooling down quicker, the, the better you get. So it's almost like the better, more competent you're getting in cold water free diving, the thicker a suit you eventually start to need. Like I know lots of people and myself included, I started out there in like a five mil surf suit with a chest zip and like, I was hacking it up hard. Like we can talk about that later, but um, it's, it's, you know, 
I would never be able to do that now because I'm so much more relaxed. I would just freeze so fast. So you can get by with it when your technique isn't there and you're working harder than you probably should be. But ultimately, you know, around here, we're, I strongly advise anyone buying one suit, it's seven mil to dive you around. Ideally like 7.5 mil open cell suit for sure. Um, and I'm rec suit or, or a split cell, but not, not like comp suit. Mm. Um, it's, it's, that's the other thing actually with cold water. If you go full comp suit, they're prone to tearing right mm. and and having a blown wetsuit in our cold water you can't just milk it and sustain <laughs> through the day right she's hypothermia city uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in uh, one of my funny stories if we come around to that yeah um but uh yeah so thick thick neoprene but flexible as well um and then uh, honestly uh because of the peripheral constriction and blood shunting you were talking about the mammalian dive reflex mm-hmm. um open cell gloves and socks okay like um Yazbek makes incredible open cell gloves and socks and they make so many different sizes mm. um you know it's something that will extend your longevity because as that blood moves from your extremities mm. your hands and feet are going to be what gets cold the quickest yeah 100 and so having open cell snug fitting gloves and socks gloves are tough because either they usually fit too tight or loose but if you can find the right one in the right size it makes a big difference having open cell against your skin rather than closed cell and nylon sticking against your skin. So, uh, so closed cell being lined inside and out, and then allowing for that layer of water to sit within that nylon touching your skin, creating conduction to, to zap you of your heat essentially just over time. Yeah. Mm, so that's some of the gear stuff. What about, do you like wear vests? Like Daniel Mann um, has this neat technique that I like where I think he wears a seven mil, but then he puts on a pair of shorts over the top of the, um, of the top of the jacket, so then it stops that sort of seepage that comes from under your jacket up, under your sort of your leggings or your your muddy farmer or whatever you want to call the bottom half of your wetsuit when you're wearing a two piece. I'm assuming you're wearing two pieces. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and do you ever do that with the shorts over top of that? And then it just presents another barrier for water to come up. I ha- I haven't had to yet. I, I saw that and I was I you know Daniel Mann's got a lot of good tricks for cold water. Like yeah. he's he's definitely well on top of it and seasoned in it. Like you know I definitely have a lot of respect for that guy. Well, and, I think he feels the cold. <laughs> so like well yeah, it's like he, he, necessity's <laughs> the mother of all invention and 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 that's the delightful thing about intelligent human beings adaptation. You know and his intelligence comes through in the way he adapts to stuff. I, I quite like watching his stuff because you can see his thought process. So, so but sorry, yeah, I interrupted he, you. No, no, you're all good. He's very uh, thought out and methodical. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, super intelligent guy for sure. Um, you and I, we have a little more bioprene, I like to call it. <laughs> so we, we, we tend to last a little longer, I think that way. Yeah. But people of the leaner type. Yeah, I honestly, that's a great trick. And I, I find though, like personally with my Farmer John top, Mm. Um, so I, I wear a Yazbek 7.5 mil and the Farmer John top, if, I, if, I, if my belt's done upright and, you know, I have, I, I don't get much flushing with the Farmer John. Yeah. Um, and then I always, cause I'm instructing all the time. I'm actually wearing two watches. Okay. So I actually pinch my gloves over top of my wetsuit to at my cuffs on both of them. So I don't get much flushing through my cuffs either. So I'm kind of almost sealed in a little bit too. Um, so your, fa- the, your face is where the flush comes. 
Yeah, a little bit. And I, I still, I melt ear, well, holes in where my ears are to allow water ingress so I don't get air pockets trapped. Because another thing with cold water is with our thicker gloves is the dexterity that you lose. It really is frustrating if you're needing to flush your hood every time you dive and you're reaching into your hood, you end up scratching your face just with the seams on the gloves over and over. Um, Because our gloves are so thick and you can't really, once your hands get cold, you can't really feel it. Yeah, Actually, that's something that can become a... Yeah, no, for sure. And that's something that can become a hazard in itself. If you push a day really long and say you're shore diving and you're remote, like I've had lots of days where I get out of the water and I can't use my thumb and index finger well enough to even take off my knife oh, um, wow. and just the, the buckles like you just. And so you got to really consider when you need to call it because you can push past this time, this point. But if you get to a point where you can't use your hands and something goes wrong and it's always going to be more likely to happen at the end of your dives. Um, you know, you, you might have the, not have the mobility to manage that situation appropriately wow. either. Wow. Yeah. I didn't think about that. When we first started talking about this cold water diving, I was thinking more like my first response to like that, just the cold water exposure, like, jumping under a cold shower or when you first hop into like a freezing cold, like the sinkholes in, um, in South Australia come to mind, um, your whole body tenses up, you know, and getting past that first cold bit then just sort of allowing yourself to become acclimatised, to me that was 90% of the battle, but I didn't really think about long cold exposure, which is what you're talking about, which is sort of hypothermia um, where you lose sensitivity in the extremities of your body. So this is really good stuff. Um, when do people know when to call it? Like what you're talking about? It's, it's hard to know when to call, but if someone's starting to shiver, that's usually when to call it for sure. Um, you're getting to a point where their breath holds are gone. Them staying in the water is just prolonging risk. Um, lots of people will push through that to some degree, but ultimately it's at that point, the person who's diving mentally, they're not going to want to sustain it long either. Um, yeah. So it, it's honestly, it, I would say like from myself as the cold water free diving instructor, one of my biggest challenges early on in the season, like now for, we've been teaching for a month now. And one of my biggest challenges is keeping my students warm and through that safe through that as well. Right. So yeah. we do operate our free diving programs with a four student to one instructor capacity at, at this time of the year at most. Yeah. Um, and it's when we're in the open water sessions, it's go, go, go. Like it's just yeah. trying and crank out as many dives as we can before it gets to that point where the first person starts needing to get out of the water. You know? Are the requirements pretty rigorous for a PFI level one? Uh, I would say they're, they're strict. Um, you know, they're, they're not, I guess in a warm water environment, I would say they're, you know, they're very similar to ADA two and wave one. Um, so Malchinov, um, mm. and, uh, but from a cold water perspective, like when you start doing those depths, I mean, if you're maxing out the, the free diver level course, when you're starting out and doing 20 meters in cold water, like, honestly, I, as long as you can equalize, you're a 30 meter diver. As far as I'm concerned in warm water, like you just, you bump that depth oh, so quickly just by ditching the thickness of the gear. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're very focused on safety or we're very focused on safety in PFI and, and in risk management. And mm. I really appreciate that about the program um, and just having redundancies in place. And again, why I think the, 
how I approach cold water. I'm, I'm cautious with it too. Um, but I think it, it's the respect that needs to be given to the environment that it is too. Uh, also we're, we're naturally when we're colder, we're more tense, we're more rigid. So we're at risk of more barrel trauma. There, there's more, more, more risk of barrel trauma essentially as well from being tighter. Yeah. All right, cool. Just back to wetsuits just for a sec. You, t- you touched on sort of you're wearing a Yazbek 7.5. For me, I was wearing a five mil maybe two seasons ago and New Zealand, I got over there and I put this five mil on for the first time. I'm jumping into just beautiful clean water, but it was like David Attenborough conditions, like stuff's just going wild. The excitement's up. And then little did I know, but I hadn't put this wetsuit on and just like wearing it into your body is a big thing. Like, so I, I'm quite chesty. I, you know, like I train and stuff and, um, and so, but you, that's one area where you need flexibility in your wetsuit, and yeah. particularly up around the neck and the head and the shoulders, like absolutely critical for relaxing on the surface and breathing and relaxing. Um, I didn't have that, and it dramatically impeded my dive performance. Um, what's your advice with your students with regards to wetsuits? Do they pre-wear them? Do they get them on in the pool? Do they buy custom suits? Um, just walk us through that. Yeah, so... We have a lot of people um, that rent. So we, ha- we have Oceaner 6.5 mil closed cell suits that are free diving cuts. They're free dive sport model that we rent um, in our programs. Uh, and they work. They get people out there. They break down that barrier to accessibility. Anyone with a new suit, I'm always pushing, you know, get out there in your gear. One, go through tedsfreedivingsafety.com program first yeah. and just learn the whereabouts of that. Then get out, explore your gear and be comfortable with it because there's two things you don't want to have to be worrying about when you go into a free diving course. One is equalizations. And the other one is bobbling with your equipment. You want yeah. to feel comfortable in it, like you're saying, and it throws you off really fast, even going from like a warm water trip and then coming back and all of a sudden throwing on a seven mil from a three mil and you get out there and you feel like Michelin man, like you can't move <laughs> and you're so buoyant oh, and your yeah. entries are more difficult yeah. and just everything with it. Um, so yeah, getting comfortable with the gear is definitely something that we try and have our students do before coming out uh, just so that they're not thinking about that stuff as much yeah yeah, yeah. Michelin man that's a good good expression for it yeah and and like for people that just dive subtropical trop- tropical water a lot of these cold water struggles like um, they wouldn't be familiar with um, but you just you're laying there you've got that much weight on your belt um, weight distribution then becomes another problem like I have guys send me messages they're like uh, where do I get ankle weights and neck weights and you know, how do I distribute this weight across my body better? Because having it all on your waist sometimes can be problematic when you've got like, you know, seven or some people wear nine, 10 mil wetsuits. Like um, you got a lot of weight on to do that. So what's, how do you get around that? Yeah. So that's exactly where I'd go with this next is, so you've got your wetsuit. Now you're overly buoyant and every beginner is like, okay, well, the weight will take me down. <laughs> and, and so it's just completely backwards of the way you should be approaching it. And one of my biggest wins as an instructor in the first year that I I was teaching, I took 40 pounds of lead off of two people. So like 40 pounds between the two of them. 
And it was, it was wild how much lead I took off of them, but they were just so incredibly overweight because they don't have the technique or skill set to do a good entry and get down with the buoyancy. Cause as soon as that uh, volume of air compresses within the suit and your lungs, your density changes so fast. Um, so yeah, proper instruction of it and just making sure people understand weighting principles and how to go through that is huge. Uh, and then learning that it's not going to be easy to get down, but your ride up is going to be smooth and cruisy yeah. <laughs> and I'd way rather take the ride up than, than the ride down and then have to work to come back up. Yeah. That the journey to a good entry and some of these micro skills you're teaching them in a free diving program, a lot of sparrows sort of sneeze at it. They've forgotten, I think how difficult it is to learn a decent duck dive, like um, just good streamlining, good fitting technique, um, resting good posture on the surface, like a couple of, you know, fins before you actually bend at the waist and head down like, these, these things are like what you learn in a freediving course. Sometimes I think it's like people think they're going to get some magic breathing technique. It's like, uh, you know, how do you, do you, when, you, when you're talking to people like that are interested in doing courses, what's, how do you sort of frame all this up? You know, we spend a lot of time on entries and like I even do probably another 45 minutes more and just spend it on entries because I know that if I spend the time on entries, so we'll do anywhere from an hour to hour and a half on entries, depending on the skill set <laughs> and like working at simulated drops to depth, but it benefits us so much once we get out on the rig and on the line, um, especially in cold water where time is critical. Um, so we'll focus on entries and like, I mean, it's funny you bring this up, but I had my biggest struggle as an instructor the last two weekends in a row uh, with an end with entry difficulties in a student and um this student took two full pool sessions to be able to accomplish what she required for pool certification to be able to, uh, to get a clean entry. And it's just, they didn't, she didn't have the bo the body mechanics and the skill set to figure out how to do a proper entry. And it, it's something we definitely take for granted, especially mm. the further we get away from having learned, yeah. but just, you know, even just like you bring surfers into the program versus someone who is, you know, more of a land based based athlete, a surfer knows how to feel water. Mm. And so there's a lot that comes with that where they feel their buoyancy already because they're sitting on a board all the time and they're Duck comfortable diving. with the, yeah, totally. There's so many, there's so many crossovers there with just the understanding of the feel of water where yeah. someone coming from a land-based culture uh, and coming out, like she just had no idea how to do an entry. And I, like, we spent a lot of time on it and she got there and then like, she came out on the line and she was crushing 10 meters on the line oh, of pre-immersion, no problem, sick. but still struggled in the open water with the, the, the entry. So yeah, entry, you start every dive with one of them. Uh, you should probably invest some time learning a good clean entry. Yeah. Chris, man, we could chat. I, could, I feel like I could chat for another hour with you about, about this stuff uh, in particular. Um, I want to close out the section because we've got to move on just for the purposes of time. Is there anything else that you feel like you really wanted to touch on um, before we move on? Yeah. I'll just give some quick little tips in there. Then. Love That's it. Great. Love um, it. So like for myself, uh, free diving or spear fishing or whatever you're doing, cold water, when people are starting out, um, I think it's really important to utilize visibility techniques uh, to be visible to your buddy at the surface. We got cold water usually brings darker green waters. So diving with a float and float line attached to whatever you're using, whether you're spearfishing, pole spearing, or even just attach a lead shot to the end of that line 
it, yeah, you're dragging around the scope of the line and it creates some resistance that you're having to work against, but it lets your buddy at the surface have that visual tell as mm. to the direction you are underwater. And also it allows you to share reference points with your buddy who's at the surface um, when you come back up, like you can leave the gun or the pole spear or the, or the, just the lead shot and point it into a hole. And maybe you saw an octopus or a wolf feel in there and you're, you go back up, you do your recovery breast and like, Hey, back of that hole where the lead shot is, have a look. And you can kind of share your dive site and location. So there's pros yeah. to it other than safety too. Um, other than that, like we've got lots of little techniques for staying warm, but one that gets kind of overlooked a lot of time in cold water is you bring a cooler out and fill it with warm water. So we use little lunch coolers all the time and we fill them full of hot water and bring them out mainly to warm our hands and feet up again, um, just to get them moving again. And then that'll allow us to warm up a lot better. Um, and then otherwise just like keeping it simple with broth and tea and, and, uh, you know, eating light and drinking things that are light that are, have caloric value, but that are warm and aren't acidic is great. Um, and then layers, man, it's all about layers and cutting the wind because it's the evaporative cooling that'll get you more than anything else once you're out of the water. Um, and I mean, like our last course, we were out one degree Celsius surface temps, um, and eight degree, uh, in the water. And it was, yeah, it was a challenge at lunch. Let's just say. So yeah. you're putting on like, you know, like maybe like snowboarding gear or something like that. Cause that'll go over top of your uh, wetsuit without too much damage. Yeah. So I, I like to use a, a shell that has, uh, ocean, like ocean rated zippers that won't rust on you. So yeah. I'll, I like, I just picked up some new Mustang gear and, um, and then I actually like on the snow topic, I use my Sorel. Sorel is a brand of snow uh, shoe yep. and, uh, or, and, or not snowshoe, but boot. And I, I throw those on. So I take my, I leave my bottoms on, I take my top off. I like bundle up, up top hood, my surfer, and then I uh, throw my wool socks on and put my boots on and I just crank the heat. And, <laughs> you know, if we have diesel heater on board or if we're uh, have a parking lot, we're warming up at during our courses. But yeah, anything to stay warm. And like we have a lot of aluminum boats around here. Yeah. So we actually use like EVA foam shoes. So like Crocs, probably yeah. not the brand Crocs. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we yeah. so we use those style of shoes a lot for entering and exiting the water, but they work really good for stopping the conduction from your uh feet to the aluminum deck uh and just we got a rugged coastline so it's a lot of aluminum boats around here i feel like as you get older and you 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 just dispense with that post cool look that you have to go for in your 20s i think maybe (laughs) (laughs) crocs become like just a uniform (laughs) it's just like i'm not i'm not worried about like my wife she told me um there's two rules i have for you before we get married one is never shave your beard and the other is never buy crocs i bought crocs the next day (laughs) (laughs) and ever since then like i wear them everywhere they're brilliant man especially for spearfishing like you can put them on your booties slip straight inside them you can walk over rocks and barnacles and you don't go through as many sets and uh, yeah. they they float, so you can hang them off your float if you're shore diving or something. Like, totally, yeah. game. I mean, you can use them as like a kickboard. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, they they've got enough buoyancy to them. It's great. Yeah, wow, well, well, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. They're made in yeah. Vietnam, eh? The originals, and um, are they? Yeah, yeah I've they're... never bought the original. I've bought the knockoffs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. bought oh jeepers! I bought. I think I must have bought fashion Crocs. I think I paid like sixty Australian dollars for some. Like Ooh. it's extreme yeah. crocking. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're protecting your like sixty to eighty dollars socks, and yeah, you, you know, you make them go a lot. For, they're definitely worth the investment. Like, I, you know, I can't stress that enough for cold water jagged shore divers. Yeah. 
Killfish with precision and power, sending shafts from a stable platform with Killshot spear guns. Made in the Florida Keys by Ed Martin, you're buying American-made dependable spear guns. Get $30 off any Killshot spear gun at killshotspearguns.com. Yes and amen, Nuba. That's $30 off American-made performance spear guns at killshotspearguns.com. It says if they're in the shop or on the phone, they can cash in by saying, crikey, mate, or the Noob Spiro podcast sent me. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com, based in the Florida Keys. Equalizing problems can be something that derail you. Not today, my friend. Go to freedivingfamily.com. Check out the, either the Friends or an Advanced Friends or video or the Mouthful and Deep Friends or Equalization course at freedivingfamily.com. You can use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. These courses are put together by Adam Stern and a select team of, of, of legends and to help you overcome different issues and help you perform better. And some of them are extremely relevant for freedive spearing. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. Man, I feel like there's so much ground we haven't covered. Um, you talked earlier, but you alluded to a funny story. I hope it involves poo. Oh, <laughs> well, I've got, I got one that was the story I was thinking of <laughs> no, earlier, cool. and then I got another one that it involves uh, the notorious uh, number two. Um, so, yeah, the one we were just, it'll, it's a quick one, the first one. Um, I, one of the funniest things that I find with freediving is when people hang up on the cleats going in. I don't know why I get such like a, a kick out of it, but one of my buddies who was on one of our charters, he hung up on the cleat <laughs> and he tore his butt right out of the, like he didn't tear his butt but he tore a hole big gaping hole and his whole ass cheek was hanging out and then he stuck it out for a two-hour dive in like 10 celsius water just like flushing the whole time and he got himself like a 14 15 pound lingcod as well out of it and it, it was so funny like just watching him dive and i almost wonder if like his white bare skin was working <laughs> like a flasher man when you started talking about the story i, I was thinking about what the context was like the cleats often on the sides of these boats, you've got the tie off the cleats on the side. And it, like when you're wearing a two piece wetsuit, it's so common to catch something in them. Like, um, yeah. your, um, what do you call it? The, the cummerbund or whatever you call it that goes underneath your legs and clips in. Um, I've seen guys oh. get hung up on that and then they're literally stuck upside down drowning, um, <laughs> because they're hung up on the boat. And I've heard some horror stories about this. So, um, yeah, but, Using your bum as a flasher, your lily white Canadian butt cheeks. Uh, exactly. Yeah. That, that'll work. That'll work well. Um, Lots of bioprene for that motion. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. what, what's your um, other story? My more. Yeah. So this story, I think I've told to maybe eight people at most. Um, and it usually comes up when someone needs to use the bathroom at course. So this is one that I've held pretty tight to my chest, but it's pretty funny. Um, it's not something I. Yeah. Anyways, long and short is. Um, teaching our open water session days, we do two course, two sessions back to back. And, um, I'm usually very diligent with making sure I'm where I'm at in the day. And I was thinking about, Oh, do I need to actually run? Cause there isn't enough facilities at this site. And I really respect the neighbors and we don't want to utilize the bush nearby, especially for a number two. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I like the, the, the sensation passed. And that was fine. I was like, oh, great. I'm fine for the rest of the day. Good. I get in the water. As soon as I'm in the water, pressure starts hitting me. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, uh, 
I look at the students and I just like think on it for a second. I look at the rig and I look at my students and it's a short swim to the rig, but it's far enough. Mm. I'm like, Oh guys, looks like something's off with the rig. I'm going to head out there. And so I head out and <laughs> I just like, I set myself up down current and then unbeknownst to the entire course, I managed to squeeze an aqua dump off without anyone noticing. And now everyone will know, no one will ever know which course it was, but I managed to squeeze one out in broad daylight, just like beaver tail up, waist down in like, it was probably 15 degrees Celsius water that time though. So it didn't kill me. Um, But yeah. I have only taught 10 students so far in my novice freediving instructor journey. And I've already done it. <laughs> so, Too good. Like, yeah. I think given those odds, people know that if like every second freediving course with Shrek, you're probably going to, you know, like uh, <laughs> if you're looking and paying attention, you're probably going to see me do something similar. Those so. are pretty good odds. Yeah. <laughs> on, that, on that note, back to cold water, aqua dumping in cold water, it can ruin your day real fast. Oh, wow. I, I, had, yeah. to, I, oh. I had to do it once. Um we were diving in March and March is notoriously cold mm. and I couldn't even make it in for the second dive of the day just because oh. like of having to peel my bottom off and, and make it happen. But it's, you know, it's, it's part for the course when you do this sport enough, right? It's earning your badges and your stripes. Yeah. They call that the diaphragmatic poo causer, I think, or something. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the diaphragmatic poo contraction. There we go. We'll go with that. Yeah. Otherwise known as a brownout. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know why I've got my um, juvenile sense of humor on. A eh? like it's never left me. I always find poo and fart jokes enormously funny. Um, uh, it's, it's all good. There's something yeah. Freudian in that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, we didn't get. We haven't touched much on hunting techniques. Um, I want to quickly go there and then head into sort of our, you know, like our our Spiro Q and A because we're we're running out of time. Chris, I'm going to have to get you back for a round two. I think. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. Around two following your number two story. Yeah. <laughs> so um hunting techniques. What well, um again you if you want to talk foraging, by all means do so. Or 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 hunting your locals, whatever. Uh foraging is pretty straightforward. So yeah, like honestly, a hunting technique, you know, it's it's been done before on the show. We're I've target Lincod primarily around here. It's a lot of hole hunting and a lot of it comes down to just increasing that bottom time and looking in the right spaces, uh, utilizing a good dive light, like a spotlight, not a floodlight. Um, but yeah, I really enjoy actively stalking and hunting Lincod. Um, I mean, I had one that is, it was when I started out early that just gave me the runaround and it kept propping up. Like it's the only one that's ever really done this to me, but it, mm-hmm. it still like remi- reminds me significantly of the challenges I had maybe my diving was just not nearly as good back then but i was like targeting this one lingcod and it would sit itself on top of this one rock and i would continue to try and approach it as soon as i get close enough it would peace out and I'd, I'd come back set up in the drift and then it was another spot and i never got that lingcod oh, it, wow. uh, but I, I was starting i you know i was starting out so i guess it, it was partly probably my i probably wasn't on bottom i was probably just off bottom like we were talking about earlier right at that point now that i think about it yeah I think um, those early challenges you have when you're hunting difficult species, they're the ones that actually make you fall in love with it. And the the, the particular love of that battle of wits that, you know, where you're trying to out, outsmart them and, and, and um, exploit their vulnerabilities, if you like. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. Man, I've had a blast. Let's get into Spiro Q&A, a faster sort of pace on the way out. Um, what has been your biggest resource uh, for improving your spearfishing and freediving? 
Oh, Noob Spiro Community for sure. Really? Uh, it, it's been a great one for sure. Oh, I'm actually, nice, no, no. nice. I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's been it's been great for sure. I actually was a late bloomer to Noob Spiro, but I've I've really enjoyed the topics and the content. And honestly, my favorite thing about it is the humble approach and just everyone's wearing it on their sleeves. There's removing the ego, and that's been so awesome. Um, yeah, love it. And I, I think that's great. But I, I you know. Uh, one of the best resources is just your local dive community. And, and again, being humble, asking the right questions, not being shy to ask questions and listening and taking to heart. And that that's been, I think as I've grown, but our community wasn't huge when I started out either. Right. So there's been a lot of fumbling around a lot of YouTube, a lot of learning bad habits to then learn, Holy crap, there's a right way to do this. <laughs> um, and, and then, and yeah, so that, that honestly, it, the community has been supportive and within my friend groups and kind of that sort of side of things for learning. Um, but yeah, kind of other than that, um, yeah, I don't know. You, you no, guys do it. run an amazing program though. It's great. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Um, favorite, your favorite spearfishing buddy. I know it's, it's, you feel guilty just maybe paring it down to one, but maybe your favorite spearfishing buddy and why. All right. I'm going to have to do two there. I, I got two, two to three buddies. <laughs> that I can't not name. Um, but I, I, I hunt uh, with, uh, a few different guys, uh, Brad Eads, uh, Josh Merrick, and another buddy named Cam that we used to get out more, but he's, he's busy these days. Um, but uh, yeah, the, they're super diligent. They're strong divers. They are not cocky. They're humble. They're focused on safety. And there's someone that, you know, you can leave the surface and they're going to be there waiting for you at the surface and ready to help. Wow. Um, it, it's yeah, it's, it's just nice when you're in dark green waters, having that peace of mind that people aren't getting distracted. And, you know, I won't go diving with someone again, if they're being distracted while I'm doing a dive and they're supposed to be safetying me. Nobody likes that feeling. You come yeah. back up and they're off, you know, looking at something else. It's uh, it's yeah. That that would be the main uh, drive for me is diving with good safe buddies that are diligent in what they're doing. Yeah, love it, man. Yeah, ownership's a big part yeah. of that. All right, last yeah. question and uh, a super important one: Could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one or possibly two sentences? So for that one, that's a tough one, but yeah, let's let's do it. Uh, it's it's about uh, shared knowledge. Um, kind of that community, that exploration, that adventure, and then that combination of bringing it all back around the table to uh, connect, share stories, and ultimately build a, a deeper founded respect within each other. Mm. Um, and just enjoying that sustenance that we're able to provide for each other through from the ocean. Yeah. Love it. Chris, mate, I've had an absolute blast. People can find you on Instagram. It's Bottom Dwellers Freediving. They can also go to bottomdwellers.ca. Mate, you've got some fantastic stuff going. If people want to check out that warrior leadership programs that we, we discussed earlier, definitely go to bottom, bottom Dwellers and check that out. Mate, um, in the last three months, uh, my I just had a look. My Canadian downloads for the New Story podcast were 821. And I know nice. you're a big part of that. So help. thanks for helping uh, all the people in your part of the world connect with this epic lifestyle we know and love. Cheers. Well, thanks for having me on. That's great. And if I could add to that call to action there, um, also feel free to check out uh, Spearfishing Canada on Instagram and on the online store for any Canadians looking for uh, just top quality spearfishing freediving gear. Yeah. 100%. Oh, good. Chris, had a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Thanks, man. All right. See you soon.
Hey guys, I hope you got a ton out of today's interview, particularly around that cold water freediving section with Chris. Uh, really love his expertise, his passion's evident for our sport. I think he's doing fantastic things in his part of the world and I love to get these guys on the podcast, give them a platform, put them in front of a bunch of people. Go and follow them, uh, Bottom Dwellers on Instagram. Check, check out their website, bottomdwellers.ca and uh, get, get behind that initiative that we were chatting about with the Warriors. Love it. Um, hey, in two weeks, we're back for another episode. I don't know who it is yet. Um, I've got a long list of incredible people to interview. Thanks to listeners just like you. But if you love the podcast, I'd love it if you went to patreon.com forward slash newspiro. Consider um, sponsoring or partnering with us on an episode by episode basis to bring us more and more legends just like Chris here today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for leaving reviews. Love yous. Today's episode was an absolute banger, and so is our major sponsor, Adreno. Visit them at adreno.com.au. They have a huge range of equipment. You can find it at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear at checkout. When you shop online, you can save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can even use that code in-store at some of their huge mega stores Australia-wide. Price be guarantee on any Australian spearfishing equipment price. Again, visit them at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear. Have you visited neptonics.com? If you are building spear guns, I bet you have. They have got a huge assortment of top quality components for gun builders. Not only that, but they sell all sorts of equipment. They are the one-stop shop for all spearfishing essentials, particularly in the USA. They also have free shipping on orders over $99 in the USA. And a great deal for noobs today, you can save 10% off your entire order when you use the code NOOB10 at checkout. Go to neptonics.com, use the code NOOB10, 10% off. <laughs>